following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. We appreciate you all for joining us here on this Wednesday evening to talk a little bit about what is going on in the world of sports. Today, it is just me. I will not be joined by my co-host, Kelsey, today, as he is currently recovering after celebrating the Kings winning their first two games. Or really, he's just feeling a bit under the weather. But maybe two things can be true. So today, we'll just be hanging out with me talking about a lot that's going on in the wide world of sports. We'll talk a little bit about what's going on in the NFL draft, some risers, some fallers, some questionable reports, and a little of everything in between. We'll talk a little bit about the NBA, aforementioned NBA playoffs, teams that should be concerned, teams that should be ecstatic, and some things that um, aren't quite what they seem. And, of course, we'll have a little bit of fun in crunch time as well, too. So you definitely want to stick around as we'll talk about a little bit of everything. And feel free to jump in the comment section below if you have any qualms, concerns, trepidations, or anything that uh, we might that I might be missing out on as well, too. So once again, glad to have you all join us here. And you know what? We're going to go and jump right on into the tip-off. The tip-off, of course, brought to you by SeatGeek. Use code BELLYUPSPORTS for $20 off your first order with SeatGeek. We talked about all those games. You got playoff games going on right now. I was lucky enough to catch the Cavs playoff game yesterday. You got MLB games. You got whole lot going on check out ck get yourself 20 percent, 20 dollars off your first order with code belly up sports as well so definitely want to go check them out a great sponsor of the network as well you know what that's going to take us right into the our first segment we're going to talk a little bit about the nfl draft and right now we're kind of in the season where we see a lot of a lot of people fly up the draft boards a lot of people slide recklessly down we see a lot of movement see a lot of things that just don't really make sense where they weren't talking about this a week ago, a month ago, or even a day ago, and people start climbing all over the place. But we'll start right at the very top, and it looks like our number one pick is all but set in stone as Bryce Young recently canceling all of his meet- uh, future meetings with teams as well because it sounds like he might be going number one to Carolina. It sounds like after all the speculation with it being C.J. Stroud or potentially Anthony Richardson, looks like they've rounded it back out to it's going to be Bryce Young taking the number one spot and both I guess this one, I can speak for both myself and Kelsey for, we both agree with this decision wholeheartedly seeing as how we both think he's the best quarterback in the draft. The last two years, he's been arguably the best quarterback in the country. His entire skill set transfers. Great. The size thing. If you can just, you can get that little one little bugaboo out of your head. You you will look at that and beg. All right, this is that guy. He possesses everything you want at the next level. Accuracy, arm strength, mobility in the pocket, mobility out of the pocket, creativity, and very, very calm under all chaotic situations. And if we know anything about the NFL, trying to play quarterback in the NFL, there will be chaos. It is all but guaranteed. And the way Bryce Young handles that is second to none, especially coming out in this class as well. And I think if if you if you if he clocked in at six foot one, two hundred and fifteen pounds, this isn't even a question. We'd have known this four weeks ago. We'd be talking about who's going number two. But better late than never, as we're looking at about eight days from the draft at the time. It looks like he is locked in to go number one. Which opens up Pandora's box the rest of the way is now the draft officially starts at number two at the Houston Texans, who since probably that day that they beat the Colts ended up with pick number two to end the regular season. It's been CJ Stroud or Bryce Young. It's felt like has been the which one of them is is it going to be right now when we look at it, CJ Stroud's not even the, bet, the betting favor to go number two anymore as it feels like. He has slipped a little bit right now as far as quarterbacks go. Will Levis, is the odds for him have jumped up from the Vegas sportsbooks so that where he would be the next quarterback off the board if he went to the Texans. And honestly, there's talk that the Texans might not even take a quarterback. And if you've checked out 
if you checked out Mock Draft Monday the last couple of weeks, you can see on there I've been kind of flirting with that idea as well, too, with the Texans, because D'Amico Ryans comes from San Francisco, where they just went to the NFC Championship with four different starting quarterbacks, including one who was taken in the seventh round. He saw what happened when they brought in Nick Bosa and all of those guys of that defensive line when they had to force Buckner a few years ago in 2019, plus all the other guys they've rotated in there as well. He knows what you could do with a fearsome defensive line and a pass rush along with like Fred Warner and just building around that way. So I think that is something he's going to look at the top of this draft too. He's going to look and see, maybe we don't exactly love CJ Stroud or Will Levis or Anthony Richardson. Maybe those aren't quite our guys. He got a six-year deal, so he's got a little bit of leeway. The GM is known as being a little bit of a conservative drafter. He's not one to go too reckless, not one to plunge too often. You have two first-round picks in the top 12 this year. You get two first-round picks next year, courtesy of, of Cleveland. So you have plenty of leeway there. So I wouldn't be surprised to see them either trade back or maybe I think trade back would be the best choice for them because not only do you get to accumulate more picks, you also get to spite the Colts if someone trades up with them to get a quarterback because that's one less guy that Indy gets a chance to take as well. So if I'm the Texans, I want to trade back. But if I stand pat, the consensus feels like it would be Will Anderson. But up until about a few days ago as well, he seems to be one that's falling as well, which I get it, but I don't like it. A lot of hype has been brought into Tyree Wilson, understandably so, deservingly so. Six foot six, 280 pounds, 86 inch wingspan, greater than John Jones, similar to Giannis Antetokounmpo, freakish arm length, flies around the edge. But what I think they... They look at what he can be, which is understandable. He's a top 10 pick. I think Will Anderson, what catches people with him is he doesn't do anything elite or great. He just does everything really well. Like his ceiling almost feels a little bit low, which I think might be worrying some teams. Him being an Alabama guy, I still think if D'Amico Ryan sticks and picks it too, and it's not a quarterback, he will go Will Anderson. But it being Tyree Wilson surprises me less and less by the day. So that number two is where I think the draft is really going to start and a lot of fun's going to kick off there. And let's just hypothetically say they sit and take take either a defensive end or Will Anderson or even Jalen Carter, something along those lines. Then at number three, we once again got the Arizona Cardinals. Who will they trade up? Will they trade back? What will they do? Will they stand pat and take one of those elite players? That's what it's curious. I'm curious with as well because they have a lot of holes. But at the same time, you can't really trade. Do you trade back and try and accumulate multiple good players, or do you take one of those closest to a sure thing that you can find? So, Carolina is another one to keep an eye on. Then there's the Colts at four, who a lot of talk was they might not even get the quarterback they want. They might get the leftovers. Now with how things seem to be shaking out, they might have a choice between the three quarterbacks besides Bryce Young. So that's one to look out for. They might not have to trade up. They might have to trade up. So that is one thing I'm getting to keeping a close eye on as well. But I want to circle back a little bit because we talked about C.J. Stroud. He's kind of getting plowed right now with the, with the way this draft, draft process is working. He's sat, he's pretty much hasn't done anything, nothing wrong, nothing right since his pro date. He hasn't said a word, everything's been good, but out of nowhere, you see a lot of random negative. We see it every year too. Just a ran, bunch of random things come out that seem to be affecting draft stock. Brady Quinn was saying that he was quote unquote hard to work with. There's rumors he's hard to coach, that things that come out of left field. And I kind of feel bad for him in that regard because it happens every year for no reason. But at the same time, it might work out for him because you look at him, I don't think he's, I don't know if Houston was really ever on the table with him and him and Watson having the same agent and the whole Texan connection that there where there's a, I'm not saying there's anything there, but something to keep an eye on. Whereas I think if Stroud can go down to like, if he gets taken at four to Indy or even seven to the Raiders, something like that, I think if those are great situations for him, it sucks that there is some negativity being attached to him right now. And it happens every year. Just one quarterback randomly starts out on fire. Then in the last week and a half to two weeks, suddenly 
Nobody wants to touch him with a 10 foot pole, but I'm going to stand by. I think wherever CJ Stroud goes is going to get one heck of a quarterback. He's the most accurate quarterback in the draft when he gets to stand and stand in the pocket. He showed the ability to move his ball placement. It's next level. He has a lot of Drew Brees caliber skills, just a little bit more mobile and takes a little bit of time to develop as far as his movement. So curious to see what happens there. Now looking at the defensive end spot, I mentioned it earlier, Will Anderson and Tyree Wilson. The consensus felt like is Will Anderson until recently as well. I think Phil Sims kind of kicked this one off it as well with the putting Tyree Wilson ahead of Will Anderson and actually having Will Anderson all the way down as his fifth best player as well, which I'm going to disagree vehemently with that. I can see the case for Tyree Wilson being one. I disagree, but there's a case there. But trying to say Will Anderson's not a top five player in the draft feels a little little shaky i understand that you kind of were looking for traits and things that would put that would translate to the next level but at the same time let's let's not forget now will anderson did lead the league in pre- lead college football and pressures multiple years as well has a ridiculous amount of sacks he's a very productive player which i don't think should be overlooked so as we move forward into the draft process definitely something to keep an eye out for those who are going to rise and fall and i am really really curious to see who ends up who ends up being the surprise i know kelsey in our last one he talked about possibly seeing Jalen Carter slip out of the top 10. And after he didn't meet with anyone outside the top 10, if that does happen, if some of those assurances were made and then they get pulled back on, it could be a rough, it could be a quick fun night for him in Kansas city, or it could be a rough long night. So that was another one we're keeping an eye on as well. Go and let me know in the comments or check in on any of our socials as well too. Who do you think, how do you think the top of the draft shakes out? Do you think it stays status quo like we thought? And a lot of this is smoke, or do you think there's a little bit of fire and we're about to see a lot of things shaking up, but definitely looking forward to that. And of course, don't forget every Monday, check it out on our YouTube page. We have Mock Draft Monday, where I run through the run through the latest rumors and things to see what we think might happen at the NFL draft. And I put together a fun first round mock draft for us as well. So definitely keep an eye out for that as well. But that is going to do it here for the tip off. And that is going to take us into the main event. The main event, of course, brought to you by our friends over at Manscaped. Use code Hilo Sports. Get yourself 20% off at checkout as well. Once again, code Hilo Sports. And now that's going to take us into the NBA playoffs. And round one is well underway. Many series already two games in a piece. Some of them just won it, but with the second game going on as we speak as well. And I'm going to start with the one that I jokingly say is the reason that Kelsey is not here, but we're talking about the Kings taking on the Warriors because this is the hot button topic right now. Earlier today, Draymond Green getting sus- the suspended for stepping onto Montez Sabonis at the very end of the last game after Sabonis held onto his leg and Draymond with an emphatic stomp right on his chest and Right now it has a bonus as questionable for the next game with a chest contusion as well. So we're going to start by saying it's a bonus kind of with a weenie hut junior move, holding on to his leg like that. That was very unnecessary that I know it's dream on. I know it's that sort of thing too, but that was very little unnecessary. He was asking for something with that. But once again, in typical Draymond green fashion, has to throw a little bit of a temper tantrum has to stomp down. Like he's trying to put out a cigarette, bud with excessive force. And that's, seven inches north or seven inches south that's a guaranteed suspension no one's arguing with it at that point but considering he's in the chest a lot of i saw a lot of people were saying it shouldn't be a suspension just a flagrant but if you have a history like he does and you are stomping on a player that's a flat on the ground you're going to get suspended it, it sucks that it sees it happen especially in the playoffs but your team is down in game two after dropping game one you have to have a little bit of mental composure we can go back to the nba finals in 2016 this has kind of turned into his calling card and it's starting to hurt hurt the Warriors a little bit. So I, I think this was kind of the, st- the I don't want to say this punches the ticket out of Golden State, but if they lose this series, especially they lose it in five and they lose this game three because he's gone, 
I would not be surprised to see if they let Draymond Green walk in this offseason because at this point, the juice almost doesn't feel to be as worth the squeeze as it used to be. So I would just want to get that way. I don't like the suspension, but I get it. I'm not going to argue it too much. I I hate it because I, if someone's going to get suspended in the playoffs, I usually expect it to be a full-fledged brawl or you don't want to see anyone miss a game. But that's the way the cookie crumbles. And when you throw a temper tantrum and have the mental composure of a child, that will sometimes come back to bite you in that case. So that being said, though, Draymond being suspended or not, the Kings are still up two to nothing over the defending champions. Darren Fox continues to show why he led the NBA in fourth quarter scoring, dropping 38 in game one and having a fantastic game two. Malik Monk coming out of nowhere off the bench and is now averaging 20 points plus a game. Sabonis, as we mentioned, not having his best series, but still giving you 20 and 10 in any given moment. Keegan Murray, who has the record for most three-point shots as a rookie in his rookie season, he's very limited playing time because the shot hasn't got in, and they are still doing this to the Warriors. So as Kelsey and I kind of talked about when we're leading into this one, the Kings are not to be underestimated. Just because it took them nearly two decades to get back into the playoffs doesn't mean that they should be just written off against the Warriors because these are not the same Warriors as even last year. And these Kings are not the same Kings that most people, some people watching the show probably weren't even alive the last time that they made the playoffs. So keep watch the Kings possibly pull this off in five. And honestly, whoever sees them in the next round, I think they're going to be a little concerned, especially because since the playoffs started, they learned how to play defense too in these two games. Will that hold up going through the, we'll have to see, but their biggest knock in the regular season was arguably the greatest statistic offense of all time, like high nerdy analytic stats, but they didn't play the greatest defense, which was kind of funny considering Mike Brown's a defensive coach, but we see right now that the defense is starting to click, starting to lock in. So with the Kings, if they get by Golden State, but especially if they do it in five, look out for the scene to possibly cause some problems to some of the quote unquote proverbial favorites as well. Cause they are a very, very interesting matchup in the way that they can, they can sprint and push the pace. Unlike really just about anybody else in the West, the very few teams are gonna be able to match their pace when they get running like that. And in the half court, they are no slouches either. De'Aaron Fox has the finds his way into the paint. Very similar to like a young prime Tony Parker used to do so explosive, so quick, the ability to from zero to a hundred really quick. It's the bonus, a very well rounded game. And we see they can shoot the absolute lights out. So right now light the beam two times. And I think we're going to see this one feels like the Kings, maybe not in five, I'm going to say in six, but right now the Kings continuing to show you can't underestimate someone just on the name on the, the name on the Jersey sometimes can get, you can't judge them just on, you have to judge on what you see in the game. It's now going to take us now to a few other games that they're, I'm going to call them the slugfest games. These are the ones where they've been back and forth, nip and tuck. In some cases, very, very physical as well. We'll start with the, we'll start with that one. I'm going with the Cavs and the Knicks. We're going to start with this is this game. The best way to summarize a series so far is a slugfest game. One, the Knicks came out. They proverbially punched the Cavs right in the face and the Cavs did not answer back. Minus Donovan Mitchell. They basically said, all right, Mitchell, you always have explosive game ones. We'll let you get yours, but everyone else, got physically battered and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley were taken out of the game. Basically by Julius Randall, Mitchell Robinson, Darius Garland was very passive, was having trouble finding his spot. And Jalen Brunson did what Jalen Brunson does. Basically the, the Knicks beat up the Cavs in game one. Then in came two, we saw the exact opposite. The Cavs came in and held them to 60 points in a half, excuse me, 40 points in a half at, at the halfway mark. It was like 59 to 39. That Darius Garland was playing like prime. He was playing outstanding prime defense. He was all over Jalen Brunson. Mobley and Allen were making life hell for Julius Randle. Mitchell Robinson was in foul trouble, so he wasn't able to hold down the paint nearly as much. And on the perimeter, Donovan Mitchell was steals like that. This game has basically been whoever is the more physical and who's a, whoever comes out swinging harder 
is the one that seems to win this one. This is a football game on a basketball court. And as it heads back to New York, I'm really curious to see if the Cavs are going to be able to translate that on the road as well. And are they able to bounce back after a big win and keep it going, especially that's going to be a very hostile crowd there in New York as well, too. They, there's a, there's a lot to complain about living out there. So they will have a, they will bring it all to Madison Square Garden. So I'm very curious to see how the Cavs handle that. And how do the Knicks handle it, too? Julius Randle got a little banged up in that game, too. We saw him hop that rough foul from Jared Allen at the end as well. How is he able to bounce back? You, you know Tom Thibodeau, one of the one of the most classic, defensive-minded, kind of old-school coaches as well. So he's going to get the guys ready to go. It's going to be up to J.B. Bickerstaff to do the same for the Cavs. And I really can't wait for that one. That This one and the Kings and the, and, and the Warriors series are two of the better ones in, in the first round. I love these matchups. And this one is literally coming down to basically who's going to win a fist fight, it feels like. Speaking of the other series as well, too, which I think is in that category and just as good as them, we're looking at the Suns and the Clippers now knotted up at one apiece as well, too, after an incredible game won by the Clippers and Kawhi Leonard and everyone. The Suns answering back behind Devin Booker giving you 38 and Kevin Durant giving you 27 in game two. And Kawhi himself, he looks healthy. He looks good. He gave you, if I'm not mistaken, he gave you almost, he gave me north of 30 in that game as well, too. But my goodness, the Suns showed why everyone was worried about when they got Kevin Durant. They showed what they are capable of. The outside shooting, the defense, the playmaking. Devin Booker showed he's still that dude who got you 70 in a game not that long ago. He still has the ability to go off and go nuclear with the best of them. Russell Westbrook has been honestly revolutionary for the Clippers since they got him, especially with Paul George being hurt. This wasn't necessarily his best game as well. So I do want to look at, I want to see who comes out in game three, because they've kind of traded games. The first game felt like the Suns were a little more ready than the Clippers came, came on strong. This last one, it felt the other way. The Clippers felt more ready, but the Suns came on strong and took care of business. I want to know, now, who's going to come out stronger in this one? I want to know who's going to take this one, the first game in the, with the Clippers, because the longer the series goes for the Clippers, that could actually be a beneficiary because that gives you Paul George com- potentially coming back in some of these later rounds as well, too. So you can get if you were able to pull five games, that's great. But I think if this one goes a little bit longer and then you get Paul George back, they can get him later in the playoffs as well. So and if you the longer the series goes, you're going to wear down Chris Paul a little bit, which. You know that Russell Westbrook's going to be able to take advantage of him. He always goes right at him in these games as well, too. He loves to attack the the quote-unquote less, less athletic older point guards that aren't going to be able to keep up with him. So for the Clippers, the series going longer boats well for Westbrook and some of those other guys as well, Norman Powell. And if Kawhi can play through all of it, if he's healthy and feeling good, he's going to make life hell for them as well. He can't quite play defense like he used to. He's still a great defender. He's just not necessarily locking people up like he was as the claw. He's going to put Devin Booker in hell sometimes. He's going to put KD in hell sometimes. But you're not going to stop either one of those guys consistently. So if they can get Paul George back, they could be dangerous down the, down the stretch. But the question is, do you get him back? And if you do, when do you get him back at that point? Do you get him back maybe at the end of this series? Is it a little bit later? So this is probably the best series that it, on the, this one and then the Cavs and the Knicks are the two best series right now. The Kings and the Warriors is obviously a great one as well. But I feel like these two... Between these six teams I just mentioned, I feel like these are the ones that a lot of people should be worried about as we, especially those number one seeds as well. So those are ones we want to keep an eye on. Other ones I'm not too necessarily worried about. We're going to go and talk about the Nuggets and the the Timberwolves. The Nuggets are probably going to walk with that one in four or five. They, They got full control of that one. Same with the Celtics and the Hawks. Maybe the Hawks can steal one, but those two just pencil them in for the next round at this point. They have, they have those series all but locked up, but it's not all, no, it's not all paradise there at the very top. As we look at the top of the 
of the conference is you have the Milwaukee Bucks. Giannis banged up, taking a hard foul against Miami with his lower back, missing the majority of that game. Tyler Hero breaking his hand for the Heat. He's probably going to be out indefinitely. Giannis questionable for the game today as well. We will have to see if he's able to. If he is even able to play, how effective is he? Jimmy Butler, of course, we got playoff Jimmy Butler now, who's it still doesn't make sense. He's a whole nother animal. Once it is officially playoff time, he turns into a bucket and assist or rebound. He turns into an, a, a top three to five player in the game. Once it's playoff time, it feels like we will have to see if bam out of bio can get rolling. Who's going to step up for Tyler hero. He is their quote unquote bucket, their extra bucket. He is, they're going to miss him a lot. And for the, and for the bucks, if Giannis is limited, we need to see drew holiday fill in that role. We know what he is capable of. Drew Holiday is absolutely sensational. Could make a case for being a first-team All-NBA player. Incredibly on the defensive end. A great floor general gets everyone involved. And when he gets hot offensively, good luck everybody else. He can hit from the outside. He can hit mid-range. He attacks the basket. we got to see. Someone's going to have to step up, especially if Giannis is either not able to come back or if he comes back and he's not 100%. So I'm really curious. I need to see him. I need to see Brooke Lopez step up. And they have a very they were the number one seed for a reason. And they got it. They're gonna have to play like it. And Miami is a very weird matchup for them. I know they did sweep them a couple of years ago in the playoffs, but they also did lose to Miami the year before that in the playoffs as well. So it's a it's a very weird matchup when you throw on Bam out of bio and sit and Eric Spolstra coaching, who's one of the better coaches in the game still. So keep an eye on the Bucks. Hopefully they we'll see if they can bounce back. But potentially potentially danger in paradise. And you know, if we go to the Western Conference, uh, the same story, different chapter when it comes to the Grizzlies and the Lakers. The Lakers were a lot of teams everybody's sleeper pick quote unquote to upset me and Kelsey both said that they would take out the Grizzlies in six. And now John Morant is going to miss game two with an injury as well. And we'll see if it's just game two or if he misses any others, but right now I don't think they can afford it. They, they do play very well without jaw. They are a very good overall team that can play and compete. But what we saw in game one, the Lakers had Rui and Austin Reeves combined for almost 60. And that's with LeBron just kind of hanging out, just kind of doing his thing, not overly aggressive. He was just kind of, he was playing point guard, basically. He was just relaxing a lot. Anthony Davis, a force on the defensive end. Still get it done offensively, too, but neither one of them really erupted. Everybody, It was death by a 1,000 paper cuts in that game. And they still ended up running away with it, like an 18-point run in the fourth quarter. Now you're saying John Morant's not going to be in there as well. This, If he is going to miss multiple games, the Grizzlies might be toast at this point. I know they can win them. They have done it multiple times without John Morant, but you can't go in there without missing your best player against a team with two top 10 caliber players that thrive at their best when they're front running a little bit. We know how when LeBron, when the Lakers are front running, Anthony Davis and LeBron are as good as it gets. They will run good luck dealing with them when they're in a, in that type of position, which they will be in this game, especially if they get out to a hot start. So Dylan Brooks, you, you got, you've had a lot going on this year. A lot of uh, back and forth is what we're going to call it. Desmond Bain, Jared Jackson. This is the game for them to step up. You don't have Steven Adams, no John Morant. Taylor Jenkins is a very good coach. We're going to see what he has mustered up in this game, but, if I'm LeBron and the Lakers, this game you got to come out pedal to the metal. You got to go full. Ball. You got to try and jump out to a 15 to two lead out of the gate. You can't leave any leeway. You can't let the Grizzlies get going. You can't. You can't take this one lightly. Like you have to treat this one like like you. You need to play this one like you did before you got that first title of Miami. You got to treat it like you did some of those other playoff games where it was full board the entire time as well. This this is a key game before you. If you go up to oh going back to LA, the Lakers could walk away the sweep or a gentleman's five game sweep. That's a opportunity they can't risk missing out on then for the 676ers and the nets well not a whole lot to say here the nets have made a competitive mikhail bridges has been awesome 
but the Sixers are just going to always find, they've just been found ways on top, especially in game one. They went on a ridiculous run at the end of it. Joel Embiid, they don't really have an answer for and defensively that you they're, they're forcing the Nets to shoot on the outside. Nobody in the middle can hang. Nick Claxton's a great hustle, great rebounder. They got some good players, but Joel Embiid's making life hell for them in the paint. So they're forced to shoot mid range and outside and they do have shooters, but the way James Harden is able to play point guard and actually distribute the ball, even when he, Game one, he's on fire. He's hitting all of his three-point shots. Game two, he can't hit the backboard, it feels like, but he still is able to get you 10 assists and play defense. Meanwhile, Joel Embiid's locking down in the middle. They got shooters on the outside. 76ers and the Celtics, they probably, they both combined will probably have one loss in those series as well. Maybe one of them goes five, but it feels like we got a couple of sweeps going there. So those two teams should be very, very well-rested if they are to meet up in the next round, depending on how the other ones shake out. We definitely have to keep an eye out there. As we did mention, there is a little bit of trouble at the top as well. So we definitely want to keep keep an eye on what is going on at the top and see. We'll see uh, if they can if they can pull it off. But that's going to do it for our shortened main event today. As right now we're gonna, we're keeping things quick and easy, and we're cruising right through. But that's going to take us into crunch time. Brought to you about Out, Outlier. Use outlier.bet backslash high low sports. Get yourself a free seven day trial. Go ahead and bet smarter, not harder. Use yourself. Get yourself a free trial see if you can you know put together some different odds check out betting lines see what you can do so see if you can win yourself a, a few a little bit of money but that's going to take us now into crunch time and for crunch time we're going to start in the octagon where i'm going to look at max holloway once again coming off an outstanding main event win over tom arnold a very 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 good sorry arnold allen excuse me wrong but a very very competitive main event fight where it did see max holloway kind of run away within a couple of rounds as well once again, proving the second best 145 pounder, destroying all the contenders, basically is beating everybody except Alexander Volkanovsky, who's the champion. If I'm Max Holloway, it might be time to go up to 155. I know 45 is kind of the perfect weight. It's a big cut for him, but not an egregious one. But at 145, he's probably not going to get a shot at Volkanovsky anytime soon, having dropped three fights to him already, two of them very razor close. He did mention it sounds like him in the Korean zombie, Chan Sung Jung might be. Angling for a fight next, he did say that's the one guy he hasn't got a chance to fight yet, which would be an absolute barn burner between those two. My goodness, you have a zombie and Holloway, who's the king, one of the kings of output, has the most significant strikes of all time by a large margin. That'll be one heck of a fight as well. But after that, I want to see him go up to 55, maybe take a little bit of time to kind of fill, fill out a little bit, maybe put on a little bit of healthy muscle weight, just kind of fill out his massive frame at 45. Because I think at 55, fully hydrated, fully comfortable, just getting a chance to fill into his body, he will be an absolute... He's going to put a lot of people in hell. I know he's lost twice to Dustin Poirier at 155 or once at 45, once at 55, but he's going to put a lot of guys in hell at that weight class. Just like Alex Perea going up to going up to light heavyweight after the loss to Israel Adesanya, he's going to put a lot of people in hell too. Just once he's fully healthy and not fully drained from the weight cut, he's able to come in healthy, focus more time on training, less time on draining his body, sucking out his kidneys and doing a lot less damage to his brain and his organs as well. So, I like the idea of Max going up to 155 and just work on a little bit, get his takedown defense a little bit sharper. He's going to put a lot of team. He's going to be such a problem at 155 if he chooses to. I really hope he does it after. If he doesn't do it for the Chan Sung Jung fight, if he does it afterwards, that's what I'm hoping for. Because I think he can be a champ at 155 as well. He's a little bit better build, I think, to deal with a lot of guys. I know Volkanovski just fought for the 155 belt against Makachev, but I do think the way Max is his build, his fight style, he's gonna he's gonna line up a little bit better against some of those guys. So Maxi Baby, it's time. Take your fight against the Korean zombie. Have a few more cupcakes, fill out, head up to 155, where I think he will be an absolute force of nature. 
And the last thing we're going to talk about today is it is baseball season. So we will talk a little bit about baseball. We're going to talk about the MLB jerseys. It is. And I, of course, picked this one in the in the one show that Kelsey was able to join me because he is the jersey expert here. So it was my job to throw this one in there. There's there's been a lot of talk about the different jerseys that have come out, the city connect, some of the alternate ones as well. I want to get kind of want to get an idea from some of you. I'll comment on some of our socials, our YouTube page, anywhere else, what you think some of the best ones are. Some of them that stand out to me. I love the San Diego City Connect uniforms. I love the color scheme on those. They're very, very vibrant. I like the Rocky City Connect. I like the mountain line across the top. There's the, the mountain range that this it looks absolutely wonderful. The Giants orange alternates. I'm a sucker for orange. I know they're kind of similar. They're very similar to the Orioles. Kind of simple, but I'm a sucker for the orange. I love how bright it is as well. And there's the Diamond City City, Diamondback City Connects as well, which I don't know how I feel about. I need you, I need you all to kind of tell me the answer on that. Are they cream? Are they white? Do they look like puke? Does it look manila? What what are your thoughts on those ones? Because I look at the Diamondback City Connects, and this one's for our boy Jared over at the corner booth as well. I I want to like them, but at the same time, there's something about them that I just can't quite get my get a grasp around. But that those are just let us know what you think about some of these MLB jerseys too. And were there any of them that you would consider getting for yourself? But that's going to do it today for our condensed version of the High Low Sports Podcast. We do appreciate you all joining me here to talk a little bit of sports as well. Hopefully we'll see you guys again next week. It was a pleasure to get to hang out and talk a little bit of sports with some of you all. Don't forget, on Mondays, we will have Mock Draft Monday, the last one leading in to the NFL Draft, which is a week from tomorrow. Who could have thought? Eight days away. And, of course, you'll be able to catch Kelsey and I doing our combined Mock Draft next Wednesday as well, leading into the, our first-round stream as well. And keep an eye out for our NFL prospect big boards. That will be coming out soon. And not to mention, we got a lot more MLB basketball a whole lot more to talk about here coming up in the oncoming days as well too but we do appreciate y'all joining me for this evening episode of the high low sports podcast and we'll see you all again next week